Grace and peace to you this morning. If you have a a Bible, be opening it to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. You know what I was thinking there, I heard all those little kids, that sounds of of holiness. Sounds of holiness. And one of the things that Jesus did, and I'm grateful he did, is he welcomed children. I'm glad that Ron does that um, when he leads singing. We're going to do that this Wednesday when we do Trunk or Treat. You know, um, that's not just some extra activity we do. It's actually, you know, something that Jesus did. He welcomed children, and we're going to do that here at this building. Last time I checked, we have an 80% chance of rain on Wednesday. But um, we're going to do it rain or shine. Last year, we had the biggest turnout we've ever had, and it was pouring down rain. So um, if you're planning on coming and, and decorating a vehicle, just... Remember that you may be inside. We have some extra games. If uh, you don't have a game already planned, that we can help you out and and get you set up. And so it's going to be a a wonderful time. So we're in this series from Isaiah, and I want to look at Isaiah chapter 8 this morning. And let's uh, begin reading in verse 11. Isaiah 8, beginning in verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me, not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference in the world. Those lines are from one of the most famous poems of the 20th century. Robert Frost made a name for himself by contemplating a a fork in the road. But of course, this idea of two paths or, or, or two ways is not original to Robert Frost. It is a theme that is found over and over again throughout Scripture. Uh, Here are a few of the more famous places where where the choice between two ways is presented. I just want to present these Scriptures to you. There are many more, but these are some of the more famous. The beginning of the book of Psalms, Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And there's this from Proverbs. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. And then this from the Sermon on the Mount. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. One of the first Christian writings outside of the New Testament was a book called the Didache. And it was written somewhere near the, the end of the first century. And so about the time maybe the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation is being written, this book is being written as well. And listen to the opening lines of it. There are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two ways. And so there is this long tradition among the people of God speaking of life as a choice between two ways of living. We choose how we want to live. We make choices every day, and those choices have consequences. They can lead to blessing, or they can lead to trouble. And we must make a choice with what we're going to do with the time that we have been given. We can influence people for the good, or we can influence them for the bad. We're going to leave an impression. What kind of impression, what kind of mark are we going to leave? The latter part of Isaiah chapter 8 picks up on this theme. There has been political turmoil among the nations. The first part of Isaiah 8, you can go and, and read that. I know some of you are reading along in Isaiah, and I would encourage you to do that. But it discusses all of this. And so Israel has made some alliances that they should not have made. And because of this, Assyria will conquer Israel and they're going to take away their wealth and they're going to take away their resources. And when the people of Judah hear about this, remember there's this divided kingdom, the north and the south. When Judah hears about this, the southern kingdom, they celebrate. They are joyous. And because of this improper celebration, they're also going to suffer consequences. We're not to rejoice when our enemies suffer. And this leads to God giving Isaiah a message to present to his people, that faithful remnant, on two ways of living. And so it all begins in verse 11. And before we get to the message itself, we're given a couple of important pieces of information. It says, For the Lord spoke thus to me, this is Isaiah, with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying. So Isaiah says that 
God's strong hand was upon him. What does this mean? We remember last week we talked about Isaiah chapter 6. What changed Isaiah's life? What caused him to, to look at himself and look at the world differently? What set him on a different path? It was the presence of God. And now, in Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah is still very much aware of God's presence in his life. And he's acting and he's speaking in light of God's presence. It influences everything he does. Not just in that one moment back there when he sees the vision, but it continues to influence him. And he continues to recognize God's presence. And so God's strong hand is upon Isaiah. One of the most common metaphors for God in Scripture is that of a father. You know, when we pray, we pray, our Father. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. You know, whenever I'm, I'm crossing a street or I'm walking through a parking lot with Dylan, who's five years old, you know, I make sure I have a strong grip either on his hand or on his shoulder. This is because he loves to, to just take off running. And, you know, I want to protect him from danger. And this is the image that we see here in Isaiah 8. God's strong hand is upon Isaiah, not only as a sign of his presence, but it's also there to guide him and to protect him from danger. We're also told that the, what, what the message is about. And so he says it's a warning not to walk a certain way, but instead to walk another way. And so Isaiah's listeners are to follow God rather than follow this other large group of people in the world who are unfaithful. They are to pattern their lives after the ways of God, not after the ways of the world. And so here's how the message begins. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. And so we have to remember that the backdrop of this passage, the context of this passage from early on in Isaiah chapter 8, is political turmoil. That's what's going on. That's what's on people's minds. That's what they're talking about. And so Assyria is moving in, and they are a powerhouse. And so just imagine the talk, imagine the conspiracies, imagine the fear. This would be what everyone would be discussing down at the local coffee shop or at the, at the hair salon. It would be on everyone's minds. And God says, don't get involved in all of that. Don't worry about all of those conspiracies. Don't fear what everyone else is fearing. That's, you know, one path to take. That's one way to live your life. But don't live like that. And I would suggest that things aren't any better today. You know, we have 24-hour news networks who regularly promote fear. And Facebook and Twitter are full of controversies and conspiracies. And the mediums have changed, but we deal with the same exact stuff. And there's a constant chatter out in the world. There are powers that are continually stoking other people's fears. And it happens in every generation. But God calls us to a different way of living. 
And he says, but the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And so rather than focus on the conspiracies or the latest headlines aimed at driving fear, we are to turn our attention to God. We are to honor him as holy. That's what Isaiah does in chapter 6 when he receives that vision of God on his throne. God is holy, he's not. The text says, let him, let God be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. And so, in other words, when we fear God, that is when we have a proper respect and reverence for God, when we submit our lives to him fully, then God becomes our sanctuary. And once we place our life in God's hands, there's nothing in this world that we have to fear. And if we live for God and we teach our children to live for God, then we're set free from all these other fears that enslave others. And fear is an interesting topic. The most common command that's found throughout the Bible is do not fear or sometimes do not be afraid. And that's interesting. Why, you know, why is that? Think about that for a moment. God says here in this passage that we're not to fear what the world fears. Fear is the great manipulator, and it's used all the time. It's used by news networks because they know if they can get you to be afraid, then you're going to keep on watching. It's used by countless companies to sell products. You know, you want to make sure and get that cleaner that kills 99.9% .9 of germs because you're afraid of the germs or getting sick or whatever. And the things that people fear are not usually the greatest threat to their lives. Just think about that. We're, we fear terrorism. We fear mass shootings. But there are lots of things that are a greater threat to us than either of those. Heart disease is a bigger threat, but we're still going and eating at McDonald's, you know. Um, the flu kills more people than terrorists and mass shooters combined. And it's just statistically correct. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about those things. Don't, don't hear me say that. But we need to understand what fear does to us. That's what we need to understand. And we need to understand why God says over and over again, do not be afraid, do not fear. It's because that fear enslaves us. And if you are afraid, then you are a slave to whatever it is that you're afraid of. And sometimes this is obvious, other times it's not. For instance, I'll just give you a couple examples. There is agoraphobia. 
an extreme example. And so this is the, the fear of public places. And people who have this fear literally become imprisoned within their home because they're afraid to leave. What about fear of failure? What if you're living with the idea that you have to be perfect in whatever you do? Well, that's unrealistic. And that's impossible. And you have enslaved yourself and you'll never be able to live up to your own ideal. And so God is concerned about what we fear because we are not to be enslaved to anyone or anything besides Him. And we have one master, and it is God. And He alone rules our life. And when we learn to only fear Him, then we're set free from all these other things that want to enslave us. And so God is our sanctuary. He is our protection. He is our refuge. And when we stand with God, we don't have to fear anything else in this world. And because of this, Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. And so the the situation that Isaiah and his followers found themselves in was not an ideal situation. It was not peaceful. There was a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen. But in the midst of all this turmoil, Isaiah proclaims, I will wait for the Lord. Because Isaiah has placed his faith in God. And he's not going to worry about the politics of his day. He's not going to concern himself with wars and the rumors of war. His focus is first and foremost on God, and his hope is in God, and this is the path that he has chosen to take. We all get to choose how we want to live our life. We get to choose which path that we want to take. There are not a a wide array of choices. There are two choices. We follow God. We walk His path and follow His ways. Or we don't. One path leads to blessing. The other doesn't. One path leads to freedom. The other enslaves. Choosing God's path means that you receive His protection. He becomes your sanctuary. The other path leads to destruction. And over and over again, the Bible reminds us that there are two and only two ways of living. And so what path will you choose? How will you live your life? Think about it. Think about it this very moment. Think about it in the coming days. In the coming weeks, the choices that we make matter. Let's make sure that we've chosen the right path. Let's pray. Holy and almighty God, we come before your throne thanking you for all that you've done. 
You are our fortress and protector. You are our strength when we are weak. And Father, you alone are are worthy of glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for blessing us with a way of living that gives our life purpose and meaning. We thank you for guiding us in times of uncertainty. You alone are good. You are good beyond measure. And we place our hope in you. So we ask, help us, Lord. Help us as we seek to follow your ways and walk on your path. And may we make choices that bless our lives and honor you. Because we want to glorify you in all that we do. We're so thankful for Jesus who walked before us. And we're grateful for his example. May we listen to his voice and follow in his footsteps. We pray this in his name. Amen.